There we go. So here we go again. This is an, another episode of Dirty Scrap the Aluminum Podcast. And here we are with John Sacco. Finally. Uh, how are you doing, John? <laughs> I'm doing great. Finally, I know. I mean, come on. I, I just, I, I don't know why we, we had that disconnect over that time. But, you know, as soon as you, we, you reached out again, I'm like, oopsie. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. I fine. I I know that you are a very busy man. So, John, again, thank you for being here with us and pleasure, president and owner of uh, Sierra International. And I think you you have what everyone wants to have in this industry that is recycling in your veins, right? <laughs> I mean, you grew up uh, in a, a lot in of a, them, uh, there's a lot of us out there, but yes, it is. So I, I know you grew up in a, um, a scrap. Uh, metal recycling family. So I, I want to know a little bit about your background because, I mean, you are a star in the social media, of course. And, and I know that you have like a business um, administration degree, but also marketing and everything. So that I quite realize how you've been, uh, you know, realizing how to do everything in the social media. But tell me about your background because you've been in the industry for a long time. Yeah, how you know, I, I, well, I grew up in the um, in the industry. It was my father had a partner and the industry. Um, we had Agri Packaging, a Sierra bag company, and we had the metal recycling facility, Sierra Iron and Metal. And I grew up here. I uh, come down here. I would operate the upstroke balers, uh, the pit balers for baling burlap bags. And for that matter, baling copper or aluminum. Uh, that's what I, um, you know, I grew up in the, the operations. And, uh, you know, when I went to school, Uh, to the University of Southern California in 1980. When I graduated, uh, my dad had me work in the agri-packaging part of the business um, from 84 to about 86. And at that point, what happened was his partner uh, was looking to retire and my dad took the agri-packaging company, sold it, and came to me and said, well, you took marketing at USC, so market these machines. And I'm like, Well, okay, I might know a little bit about iron, copper, and aluminum, but what I know about machinery is is not very much. So 1986 is basically um, when I dove headfirst, completely 100% all in into this industry, 100% in. Wow. And so the rest is kind of history, if you will. Well, maybe maybe not just history, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's impressive, but let's let's say that you've been in the industry a lot, right? Too many, too many years. Almost, yeah. almost 40 years. Right, almost 40 years. So now saying that, let me ask you something about the industry because almost 40 years is all, uh, is is my age. <laughs> I'm 40 years old. <laughs> okay. So that's a lot. Now saying that in this in this journey of your life, what is the difference between the industry 40 years ago and the industry we have right now? Because I think it's a little bit different, or maybe a lot. Of, you know. So what is the difference? Yeah, I I think that's fair. You know, back 40 years ago, 40, 50, 60, 80, 100 years ago, our operations were kind of by the owners. They didn't really t say too much to people. They they didn't want people to know. Right. what this industry was. And this industry, you know, was all the dirt yards, environmental aspect of what we we're doing really wasn't a concern. Um, and you just operated and you didn't really say much about what it is you did. Uh, it, it's just, it was a cultural thing amongst the people who, a lot of people were immigrants to this country who started these type of metal recycling operations and paper recycling operations. But then in America, what what really started changing it was the advent of the electric arc furnace steel mill. That technology okay. required 
recycled iron on a lo much larger scale than what it used to be when we they were using the BOF furnaces, you know, the right. uh, integrated mills. Well, right. that that changed. And, 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 it, and then all of a sudden you start getting more demand for what it is we do. Now, during that change and those steel mills are being built and being coming online, now what also changed was our industry became more of a target for regulation regulators. Um mm -hmm. Because they didn't really view us as a raw material supplier, we were junk dealers, and we went, "Oh no, 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 no! We're not junk dealers. We're re we're we're recyclers." Because that sounded good, and and so now we went from junk to recycling. But during this transition, our industry didn't transition our image. Right. We failed as an industry to transition the image to a real professional manufacturing type company, just because we weren't a auto line from Detroit, the Ford's GMs and, and the Chrysler's that were these production lines, we were a production companies all across America producing the raw material for these electric arc furnaces and some material again for the BOF furn furnaces. But we never transitioned that image. We still wanted to hide, mm -hmm. you know, just just kind of just right. stay below the fence line, if you will. Right. Well, now the industry has changed in so many ways. You know, when I was chairman of ISRI in 2011, ISRI Institute of Scrap Recycling Industries, 2011, yep. 2012, uh, and I started to be an officer you know, eight years prior, what you found was the regulation burden upon this industry exponentially grew because what the regulators found was we weren't the best stewards of the land and their perception of our industry is we were just a bunch of junk and waste dealers. So now that is piling upon what we were doing. And so in, in, in the process of all this, more EAFs are being built in America Right. Equipment changed. The big, big, big uh, metal recyclers, a lot of little ones grew in the process. And then in the 90s, late 90s and 2000s, we started seeing uh, mergers in our industry. So through acquisition and industry mm -hmm. consolidation. So now some companies that were big were bought out and got bigger. And a lot of the little guys got to grow. But then the big guys started buying up all these little guys as they're doing now. So the metal recycling uh, industry has changed dramatically of how many different players, a lot of family businesses have sold out because the next generation didn't want to go. So, I mean, it's a long answer. There's so much change in our industry over the last, since I started, okay, just from mm -hmm. when I started, right. but, I mean, let alone what transpired before I started. So, this industry has seen dramatic change, uh, but the, the good news about the change of our industry is people are beginning to understand the environmental stewardship of our industry and what they need to do in their facilities. And the public is starting to beginning to get catch on to the fact that our industry is the raw material supplier that makes so many products we use on a daily basis. So that's kind of a long-winded answer, and I, and I apologize for that, but... <laughs> I love it. So, that there's just change. I mean, and I guarantee you, I miss ninety five percent of the change. <laughs> oh yeah, I I I can imagine. And you are talking about a really really interesting point that is sustainability, right? Everyone is talking right. about that. You're in California. Right. California is one of those states that has the most complicated environmental regulations in the United States. It's very similar right. to Europe, right? The European market is very complicated on, on that side. But here in the US, we still have some flexibility. Now, we met at the Scrap Expo show. It was an amazing show. And yeah. in, in that show, 
I was walking around because I've been in the industry for a long time. Here in the US, I've been working with this, let's say, metal transformation industry that is one of the activities of the recycling industry, because I think collecting, sorting is one of just, just the foundation of the recycling industry. But then you have all the foundries and aluminum transformation and parts. And now saying that what I saw or, or what I am seeing, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because for sure you will have a better answer than me, is for me, something is missing in between the scrap jar and the aluminum foundry. And for me, it's like when I was walking around the, the show, I realized that a lot of these small scrappers or the small scrap jars um, directors, they don't have very clear how important it is for the industry that do the metal transformation, the sorting, um, the segregation of the alloys, uh, the cleaning. What is missing in between? Because for me, something is missing, but maybe I'm wrong. What do you think about it? Well, no, you know, I, I understand your point. And, you know, uh, at Scrap Expo, there was a lot of processing equipment. Right. Um, and what what you saw more of at that uh, convention, if you will, was more of the fairest processing um, side of the business. Because... A because aluminum and copper, because of the value, right. if you will, you're not going to put 10,000 pounds of copper on the ground to watch it be baled, nor are you going to put 10,000 pounds of aluminum on the ground to watch it be processed and sorted just because of the sheer amount of uh, value to the product. And then you have to secure the facility. It, 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 I think it's a little different. I think there is a lot of positive things going on within the industry of trying to understand all the different alloys now mm -hmm. that like uh, uh, Novellus and, 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 and the big aluminum uh, foundries, you know, they they need chemistry and they don't need to buy really bad aluminum because that that's exactly. no good for them. And I think where you're right and what's missing is there needs to be more interaction between the metal recycler and the consumer for best for the BMPs for the best management practices for delivering the best quality aluminum to these mills because the better quality they can buy it's worth it for them to pay a little more to get a better quality and also it's better for the metal recycler but what happens is you still have those there's a lot of misunderstanding of what can go into a package. And right. then you have a select few who don't care what they put in that. They think 60-63, they can throw a little bit of contaminated here and a little yeah. bit. They don't care. And those people are, those suppliers are going to get weeded out here very soon. And that was clear. Beatrice, uh, you know, she made it a phenomenal point to that. Whereas you don't get but one second chance to mess up a a. a a package into the uh, into the aluminum mill, and I think there needs to be a lot more. I think effort on both parties, not mm -hmm. just the consumer and not just the metal side, to create the better chemistry package for these people. And then there's what are we going to do with the other leftovers that don't quite make it? You know, the contaminants that they don't want that are left over. And I think metal recyclers have to learn to buy properly. They, they have to make sure when they buy these metals that mm -hmm. they're not over buying, if you will, metals that are just really not needed by the consumers. So right. be, they're going to have to be more particular in their purchase. So I don't know when you say, you know, you're not wrong when you say there's something missing. But I think what, what we didn't quite get to see is the real... There are real suppliers and there's a lot of people who are catching up with the knowledge of what to supply. And I think that's mm -hmm. that 
is fair when you say that's missing. Right. Yes. Yes. I, and, and that's the answer that I was looking for because at the end, aluminum and, and copper is a totally different world compared to, um, to the ferrous metals, right? Now, saying Correct. that, how we can go in that direction? Because, for example, I remember you said in one of uh, your conference that we own in United States. I'm, I'm not from here, but I, I feel that I'm from here, right? This is the, the country that is giving me everything that I am looking for. And you said that we own the, the word recycling. But a, a couple of weeks ago, I went to Italy. And then uh, this week I was in, in Spain. And every time that I go, I'm going to a, a different country or a different state in the United States. I'm trying to reach out what are those recycling rates. And I was talking about uh, UBC, the, 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 okay. the UBC cans, right? And in, in Italy, they are recycling around 70% of the, the aluminum cans that they are creating. In Spain, it's around 54. Here in the US, it's around 45%. And we have 90 million tons of aluminum on landfills right now that we we think that we need to mine those 90, 90 million tons of aluminum. So how we can go or how we can make the people to understand that it's a lot of work to do in order. And, and I think it's not fair to compare United States against Italy, right? United States is huge. But if you compare against the, uh, the European market, European market is 70%. Japan is 80%. Brazil is 100% recycling on the UBCs, for example. So how we can go or how, what are the tools that we need to move the people in that direction? It's a complicated question. I know. Well, it's that easy to answer. you know, my... My answer may but may not be popular. <laughs> Even better. It's a cultural problem. Okay. We have cultural every country around the world has issues. Oh yeah. In America, we have some cultural issues about what it is when you finish using something. Be it an aluminum can, be it a paper bag from McDonald's. In America, for some reason, I find our we're a little bit on the lazy side of doing the right thing. Mm. Japan. Great. Let, let's use Japan. When they had their tsunami, right? When the Fukushima, the, the tsunami, and it wiped out all those villages. What did you have? You had communities banding together to help rebuild the communities, and we didn't have anybody out there looting, right? right. Didn't happen, did it? That's culture. And they care about their, their land. There's not much of it for a population the size. The population density in Japan yeah. is incredible, right? So they yep. care to a different level, and that's a cultural thing. I have seen in Europe also this cultural caring because land in Europe is also at a premium, right? Yep. Unfortunately, here in America, we have a lot of land. Yep. And I don't, I think culturally, you you ask the question, how are we going to change this? Well, education is, is one aspect. Um, you know, how do you change people to care? Where does that start? My father's from Italy. I'm a European descent. Starts at home with the family. Right. So it's touchy. It's touchy because we can do, we have to do better. We can do better. Definitely. And we need to do better. And I just think in America, because we have been the greatest dis disposable society there is on so many levels of how we've evolved, a lot of good stuff have, have evolved from having stuff, disposable diapers. You know, think about it. You know, I was oh, yeah. raised, I, 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 my mom had to wash my diaper, right? Now we did diaper, bat, throw it away. So during the pandemic, because of the social economic situation and in, 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 in communities where people couldn't go to work and they had to stay home. So if you wanted an extra trash bin, you had to pay for it. But if you wanted an extra blue bin, you got it for free. So what happened during that time? The contamination rate into single stream recycling dramatically jumped. 
mm-hmm. to where when they dumped the blue bin, the contamination rate was as high as 58 to 65% in some instances. Why? Because these people couldn't go to work. They couldn't put, they couldn't properly dispose of, call it the dirty diaper. So right. instead of putting in the real garbage bin, which they had to pay more for, and they didn't have the income because they couldn't go to work because everything was shut down. Where'd it go? It went into the blue bin. So there, there was... Because of socioeconomic reasons, and a lot of them are legitimate, you have this. So people need to start caring more. And how do you change that? My friend, you figure that one out. You'd be richer than Jeff Bezos or Bozo or Bezo, whatever his no. name is. Just, oh, have, just poking fun. Right. Just poking right. fun. But it's not an easy answer. It, it's not easy. It, it, it hurts my soul when I see the litter. And I post about it on time. So I'll, I'll go, I'll be playing, um, uh, uh, let's say, golf on a course that has a river running through it. And you see some of the contaminants in the river. It's appalling. Yep. You know, yep. plastic doesn't get into the environment because it grows legs and walks in and jumps into a river or an ocean, yeah. right? Yeah. How it's does us. plastic get into the ocean? Yeah, it's us. People. So we need to work together as society with some form of encouragement, with education, from the heart, from teaching kids from a, from the day they're born, that we properly dispose of things. There's a lot of things that need to happen for that change to 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 when you say we're doing only 45 percent of aluminum cans and some people will argue that's high no way. to get to those levels of japan and europe we need change we need to change the way we think as a as a culture as a country do you think that maybe this is a problem because we here in the u.s have so many different cultures around that we don't have like this sense of this is mine and i need to be better for it or do you think it's just because it's too big and we have to too much from everything. Because for example, I'm from Colombia. And in Colombia, you don't change your car every five years. You fix it. If your TV <laughs> is broken, you fix it, right? Here, right. five years, boom, different car. Your, your TV is broken, you just change it. And you don't care if the TV is going to the scrapyard or to the trash or whatever it is. So I don't know if it's a cultural problem because we are too many different cultures involved in just one country or it's because it's too much flexibility. I don't know. Well, you know, look, being an immigrant, okay, I'm a son of an immigrant, right? So I think the culture that everybody brings to this country enhances our lives yep. from Colombia to Argentina, okay? From England to the tip of, uh, you know, Italy, from the boot, from Morocco, from Algeria to South Africa. I mean, you know, all over Asia. You know, everybody who comes to this country and brings their culture, there's a lot of beautiful culture in this country. Oh, yeah. And I think that even the culture of neighborhoods that are, you know, the old, the old and, you know, the old Italian neighborhoods, if you will, and the old German neighborhoods now today to the old, uh, the the neighborhoods from uh the mexican immigrant or for the central american immigrant or the south end it really doesn't matter everybody has pride you see it you you see everybody has pride from where they come from oh yeah so i don't think it's because they come from somewhere else it's just as a whole i think our country's turned a blind eye to accept the fact that from every there's always a little bit of bad in everything right And yeah. that's, you know, one bad apple spoils the bunch. So I, I like to say that maybe all our different cultures need to start influencing 
those where we can, we have to do better. Okay. So for you, for instance, you're of Columbia descent and you probably know a lot of Colombians who've come to America. Well, maybe you and your friends and your group of friends from Columbia need to band together to help those who come here in the future to understand the proper way we want to do things here because we love this country. We love a clean environment. We want our kids going to a schoolyard or a playground, sands, needles, sands, plastic bottles and trash who wants to send their kids to play in that environment no, nobody no, so maybe we as a whole can encourage the whole to do better right and and this is one one of the let's say main uh, goals of this podcast right to to reach the the the, um, the more amount of people and share the message about recycling because i think recycling is one of the the pillars of the society because bring people together you know, for a good cause, to reuse something that already give you something and you want to give that back. Now, let's talk about aluminum because we are talking about so many different things, but let's talk about aluminum. From your okay. point of view, because you've been in the industry for a long time and I think your main focus is the scrap jar and because of your equipment and everything. But talking about aluminum, I'm seeing a lot of different scrap jars merging together with the foundries and also a lot of scrap jars just changing the mindset and becoming a foundry. Do you think this is something that we will see more often in the industry? Logistically speaking, yes. Where logistics play into play into it, yes. Um, nobody can be everywhere. Then it becomes right. a uh, uh, economic. Where, where it's logistically sound, there will be more consolidation in those areas. Uh, by the way, I like to use the word recycled materials facilities. I don't use scrap. If you notice, I haven't said the word scrap the whole time. I use recycled materials because in the end, scrap in America now is beginning to have a really bad connotation. So my friend, that's why I, I just use the word recycled materials. But to your point about aluminum, look, if 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 an aluminum foundry has a recycling facility that is providing them with high quality, continuously of the chemistry aluminum that they need to make their product to secure that line and then to train where the mill trains the yard even further to go out and get them this you know a better quality aluminum coming into any mill or better quality steel copper stainless paper whatever's going into the mill if the quality inbound is better that mill will be more efficient and that efficiency leads to profitability but also leads to competitiveness, being able to be more competitive with the pricing of the of the finished goods. And I think that's a, a very important thing. So yes, I think we'll see more consolidation. I don't see aluminum consolidating uh, to where the supply that the the, 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 the the facility that they would be purchasing, they have to have a supply that would move their needle in their purchasing of their monthly need. Right, because at the end, high quality aluminum scrap means also high quality aluminum recoveries, right? And at the Correct. end, if you can move from, I don't know, the low 80s uh, aluminum recoveries to the up 90s, is a, a huge step. Yeah, it's significant. So what are those challenges that you saw in the 2023 and what are those challenges that you will see in the 2024 talking about the aluminum recycling industry? What do you think about it? Well, here's, you know, obviously we've seen the commodity values kind of yeah, dropping down a little bit. Yeah. Drop down a bit. Well, you know, Let's face it, uh, we're kind of in an odd economic time. Um, some people think the inflation has hurt the overall economy, which I would imagine it has. Uh, you know, you have the auto plants go out on strike for as long as they did. Well, they consume a lot of aluminum, so yep. that hurt. 
Interest rates being higher hurts new construction, right? You know, who's buying a new, who's building a new house with interest rates as high as they are. So I think you, you've had a variable factors uh, in 2023 that has probably put a, uh, a uh, uh, dampened the outlook or the values. Uh, 2024, uh, pretty confident interest rates are coming down. And with interest rates coming down, we might see more investment, more activity, mm-hmm. uh, which will create a greater demand. Yep. Of course, we have variables with war. Uh, we still have the Ukraine-Russian war. Yeah. We now have the conflict with Israel and uh, you know, and Hamas, and and the potential to escalation of that, which yep. would not be good. So you know, it, it, if peace can come to Europe, if peace can come to the Middle East and we can get interest rates lower, I, I, I think we can see a really solid year of uh, of stability. Now, I don't necessarily think we can see big rises in value, you know, right. a few pennies here and there, fine. Stability is really what we need to make investments, to to grow the, the demand. And then, you know, if you if you have an economical demand, well, you start getting more residual aluminum from obsolete, from manufacturing aluminum. So you'll have a bigger supply, which will supply and demand. Well, more supply will also decrease yeah. the thing. And so, but if we have a better economic situation where um, uh, there's more demand for them, so so you know there's that offset. So I think 2024 has the potential to you know barring regional wars escalation. Um, I think we have a chance to see some decent commodity pricing growth. I don't think we're going to see the the anything crazy just because there's too many buffers that would keep it from. From escalating, so you know, labor is a big issue. Uh, the labor force is is yep. is very tight, and it's hard to make more of anything when you can't get more employees. So, oh yeah, uh, stability for 2024 with a little bit of growth. That's what I'm thinking. But I'm just me. You know, there's so many different factors. You know, we have an election coming on, uh, presidential election here in America. You know, th- th- these elections, there's a lot that goes on. And, um, you know, a lot of people are going to want to keep their powder dry because they don't know which way politically things happen. Because one party wins, some things are good for a certain sector of the economy. One right. other, another party wins, it's a different sector. So there's always winners and losers in an election. And so sometimes people who who think there might be a political shift away from what they like may sit on the sidelines. And those who think it shifts towards them will be waiting to make that investment in, when right. they see the results. So you're going to have a lot of wait and see. Yeah, yeah, I'm totally agree with what you're saying. Now, talking about the different industries, and, and, and I'm um, getting to the end of the episode because I don't want to take much time from your side. I know you're I'm, really I'm busy, feeling man. good, my friend. I'm, I'm, I'm here until you say, let's go. <laughs> oh, thank you. So electrical vehicles, space chips, green buildings, everything and everyone is talking about green aluminum. But green aluminum is not just selecting and sorting the right raw material for the aluminum foundries, but also is how to involve the right technology into the process, right? Do you see that people, or, or, or what What do you think about the people, or really do you think the people is ready? Obviously, you already talk about the investments, but do you think United States really want to invest in new technology in order to move on the green side of the aspect? Uh, what do you feel about that? Because, for example, your technology is made for the, the raw material suppliers, right? But then we have right. all the technology talking about closed loop systems, energy recovery systems, different type of furnaces for aluminum transformation with the higher efficiency that you can reach. Do you think United States is going in that direction, mostly talking about EVs, green buildings, 
aerospace that everyone wants low carbon footprint aluminum. So I think it's going going in that direction, but how do you feel? Because you've been in the market for a long time. Well, I, I think aluminum just has so many econ uh, environmental benefits, recycled aluminum, because you know, when you when you Definitely. recycle aluminum, you're saving in the 90 percentile of CO2 emission and energy consumption. Um, that's a very positive thing. And I think that's why, you know, with recycled iron, copper, same. Now, I mean, aluminum is the highest savings of CO2 emissions and oh, yeah. uh, uh, energy consumption. And as we know, it's infinitely recyclable. So I think America, we're we're ready. The world is ready. Definitely. But the infrastructure for dramatic change overnight just isn't going to happen. Okay. Electric vehicles, um, great, great concepts. Love them. Uh, I don't right. drive one. But the infrastructure does not exist for here in America for many more percent, 10, 20 percent more electric vehicles to be serviceable and to be out on the roads because of the charging stations don't exist. And wow. then what it takes to get more raw earth, rare earth materials to, you know, for the batteries, uh, lithium ion batteries. Um, but it's not easy to recycle state. those. It's, it's yeah, well, easy. but just that battery alone is a, it can be dangerous. You wow. know, they're not exactly the most stable things like a lead acid battery. No. Nope. Uh, yes, efficient, but you know, I think we're ready, but I think we move in the direction, but we're not going to get time. away. We're not going to get away from the need of, uh, fossil fuels. Uh, solar doesn't solar and wind does not provide enough energy to our factories wow. to, to build everything everybody wants. You know, you can't just go and have a EV society. There isn't right. enough materials to do no. that. And we have to understand that as much as I think the activists agitate the situation, I really do believe this. What is real is it's going to be a slow curve. Right. It's going to grow, but that curve isn't going to do this. We're not going from here, from Detroit to here, right. to here with electric vehicles. Because first of all, the cost of those vehicles are going to escalate yep. because the materials you need to build those cars aren't cheap. Aluminum is a lot more expensive than steel. Yeah, it's better for the electrical vehicles. Yes, I am agree, but it's, yes, it's not cheaper. But it, it but it's not necessary. And, and then to my to get more of it, to, you know, what? How much more virgin aluminum are you going to need to to put into the supply chain? I, I know the demand? answer. I know the answer. Okay, you need at least twenty five million tons more of primary aluminum in order to grow in that direction. It's a lot. Okay, so so what is that going to do to the environmental footprint? Exactly. So we are we are fighting against the CO two emissions, but we are requesting more CO two emissions because we need more primary aluminum. So see see, the, the, and that's the push pull effect of it all. I think look, electric vehicles have proven to have some tremendous value. There's no doubt about it. I don't believe that it's the, the ultimate answer. And the reason is what's gonna happen when you're going from Denver to Omaha, Nebraska, okay? You're in your car, you're in your truck, and you can drive 500 miles, 450 miles on a tank of diesel or gas, but yet your electric vehicle that's smaller in capacity of carrying things and all what have you needs to be recharged every 220 miles. Right. It doesn't necessarily mean moving faster and actually it's going to slow it down. Uh, electric truck. We just, we're not going to electrify every vehicle in this country. It's going to take decades. And that's with an S decades to build the infrastructure, decades to find the ways to enhance the battery technology, decades to, to find the way 
these vehicles can travel further distances, decades to find all the materials needed to build these vehicles. And we still, I don't think, solve we're still going to need fossil fuels to run. What about our farm equipment? You know, look, 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 what's going to run our factories again? So now if all the electric vehicles are competing against the electrification of food factories, hospitals, schools, airports, think about all these things. We're not going to have a jet, electric jet engines anytime soon. Okay. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I was I was seeing a, a, a report about um, California, you're in California. And they were talking about how hard the government is pushing to go into the electrical vehicles. But what about the energy crisis that you have there? So how you can compete against that, right? It make no sense. But even though we are trying to move in that direction, and, and don't misunderstand me, I I love the green aluminum, and I think that this kind of industry are pushing the economy in the right direction. But it's it's not easy to go just in that direction and be like a blind man saying, oh, everything is going well, and we will go there like nothing when we have all, all these different things that are not okay, like the infrastructure, the energy crisis, the, the globalization, because now everything is changing. China, Russia, United States, right? So it's not easy. Well, you know, when I was 18 years old, I went to India uh, with my father. We went on a trip around the world when I graduated high school. And, you know, as a arrogant kid, not knowing anything about the world at 18 years of age. When I was in Calcutta, uh, they had energy outages for hours every day. Mm. And I thought to myself, ah, that would never happen in America and California. Well, it's happened. We have rolling blackouts in California. And I think we we fail to use common sense. The common sense is this. Yes, we need green, more green energy. Who can argue that? Who can argue that? You'd be silly to try to argue that. Yeah. But don't cut your nose off despite your face. Blackouts are an environmental and social economic disaster. And why we say, how is that an environmental disaster? Because what happens when the power goes out? A lot of bad things happen. And I don't think that's good for the environment. And I don't think it's good for society. We need to be able to provide energy in all forms, safely, environmentally sound, without the emotion of, well, we can't have this. We can't have fossil fuel energy. Right. Well, what happens if we don't have fossil fuels and you got a hospital full of your loved ones and the power goes out? You don't have much, you don't have any fossil fuels to run the generators that run those hospitals and your loved one dies because there's no energy. But you're driving on EV. <laughs> so, so my point is, is if we take emotion out of it and really use common sense to say, look, we need a more, we need more wind. We need more solar. Yes, we still need fossil fuel. And you know what? If you look at nuclear power. It's a beautiful power. It's a beautiful source of power that is clean and we are not But go it. ahead and find me someplace that's going to accept today. But why? You know, I, I challenged Patrick Moore years ago, who was the founder of Greenpeace. And he is a big proponent of uh, nuclear energy. And everybody raised their hand. Oh, my God. How can you have more? Look at Chernobyl. Look at Three Mile Island. Oh, man. We, this guy just set up there and he smiled at everybody he goes i'm glad you brought all that up he said because three mile island the housing the concrete that did did its job and and contained the leak how many people died at chernobyl he asked us all you know 50 100 couple hundred and you know the area was you know kind of wiped out because of it he goes but he goes then he asked us all this question and i'll never forget this that this is something it's crazy this what he said to us he says so how many people die each year of nuclear power disasters versus a machete? Ooh. And we all looked at each other. What the hell is he talking about? Well, when he started just saying, 
how many people died from a machete versus nuclear power. What he was really saying is just because it looks dangerous doesn't mean it can't be built properly. And Chernobyl was what, 1950 technology, 19, early 60 technology that ended up failing, uh, that could have been preventable. And today, with what they know, how to, to contain, I mean, look, look, look at the U.S. Navy. How many nuclear power aircraft carriers are there and destroyers and submarines and, and, and the militaries around the world, the Chinese, the Russian militaries that use nuclear power to power their vessel? Yeah. They do this every day, 365, and they have for a lot of years. So something's there. Something works. So it's another part of the equation. So like I said, we have to have some common sense. We're going to need more green energy. We need more of everything so we don't have rolling blackouts. And uh, the EVs are a great idea, but we need more infrastructure. We, we just need a lot more. I just don't think we have, we can snap our fingers and say, here it is tomorrow, because that's not realistic. If we're realistic yeah. and build methodically and with common sense to the goals to get to a cleaner world, we can get there. But we can't do it with so much emotion and hurry that we endanger the citizens by trying to get to I agree. I, I, and, and I think I am 100% agree. And with what you just said, I think is the right way to end the, the episode, because it's just something that let people to think about it, you know. So, John... Thank you so much for being here with us. I really appreciate it. Um, I, I admire you and your career a lot. So I think Thank you. you're Thank you much. one of those those leaders that the people needs to follow and understand how to walk in the same path, you know, to be better and to make this world better. So thank you so much for being here with us. And hopefully we will have a second chance to talk more a little bit about everything. Well, I've really enjoyed our conversation, uh, you know, and I, I think people like you and, and you know, the more people who have conversations about the needs of, of our industry and what it means to civil our civilized world and, and, and what it means to a nation, the more we talk about it, the more conversations we have in with this manner where we're not beating each other up and we're having an open discussion, yeah. more good is going to come. So you're doing a great work. I, I applaud oh, you, you for this. I've enjoyed your podcast. I've enjoyed being your guest. This has been a, a, a great hour for me. I've, I've really enjoyed it. And, uh, Thank you for having me, and and I look forward to seeing you. Uh, hopefully, at Isri uh, oh, in yeah. uh, April in uh, Las Vegas, huh? Definitely, I'll be there. So, thank you so much. See you there. Bye bye. Thank, thank you. you.